0: Turn in your Bibles or in your worship folder to Acts 11, we'll have our sermon scripture. Reading from verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them. We're first called Christians. The word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you take this word that we have just heard, this word that we've just read, the word in which uh, Pastor Anderson is going to soon uh, expound on. I pray that you take this word and hide it in our hearts, but not in such a way that it just lavishes there, but it overflows. And you are the springs of life. And we pray, Lord God, that this would uh, bubble up into all of our experiences. And those whom we come into contact with in the coming days would know that we have been with you. And that countenance would be upon us because of the word that you've given us that it pushes out through our lives and our hearts that others will want to know this Jesus too. Father, thank you that your word is so available. Thank you that the pastor's here to preach. And thank you that you've given us the opportunity to hear. Now I pray that you change us into the likeness that you want us to be. As we pray, Lord, in your wonderful name, Amen. amen. You may be seated, thank you. Thanks, Ken.
1: Well, good morning. Hopefully you had a a Merry Christmas, and as Pastor Andrew mentioned earlier, you're looking forward to the changing of the year from 2018 to 2019. It's a great time to reflect and look back, but also to look forward and to think about the way that the Lord is going to work and move amongst us in the, the year to come. It's very exciting, it's great to be with you to bring God's word. And over this past week the holidays has been a lot of fun it's been fun to be with family i've got a uh, a sister in law who's pregnant and due early in the year or this coming year my sister is also pregnant which is fun to watch her go through all of that and she's due in march and so there's been a lot of name talk going on you know what are you thinking about naming your baby Sh- certainly there's some of you that have gone through that recently or most of us are having those talks with people we know and uh, it got me thinking, you know, what's in a name? You know, what comes, what's behind a name? I'm thinking about my own name, Addison Hawkins. Uh, it's an English, Scottish origin, so I've got the beard, kind of to live into that Scottish heritage a little bit. Um, but Addison, meaning son of Adam. Hawkins, uh, meaning falconry. So if you met any of my early ancestors, they probably had a falcon on their arm. That was the trade that they were involved in but then I think about my son Theodore uh, it's a family name Theodore is but it also means in its origin Latin gift of God and he certainly is that to us in a lot of different ways and then our, our daughter our youngest Louisa it's not a family name but it's a name that gives me great peace at night when I think about her future dating life and what it'll be like for a young men. her name means uh renowned warrior so I think we're going to be okay there As She grows up, but there's a lot in a name. There's history. There's belonging. There's sentiment There's lots of things in a name. That's certainly true in the Bible as well If we look at various given names to folks in the Bible They have meaning that plays into the part of the story in which we encounter them. You think about Abraham, you know multitude or many Think about uh, David, beloved, our friend, Barnabas, who's in our story here, son of comfort and exhortation. We see that in his part of the story as well. But it's not just for individuals. I mean, there's lots of meaning in groups of people as well. There's meaning in titles that we tend to give ourselves or that are given to us. We think about believers, about followers of Christ, you know, in, in the common name that we kind of give one another as a group is Christian. And you know, that's something that is very common to us today, but as you've probably picked up in our text, this was the first place where the disciples were called Christians. Well, where is this place? Antioch. Antioch uh, is well known and referred to as the world in one city. You know, this is where you could see all the world's richness and diversity in one place. And at the same time, you could see all the world's brokenness and sin. It's, it's divisiveness in the same place. But it was here that the name Christian was given to those early disciples. And as an interesting note, this wasn't a name that the Christians, the followers of the time, gave themselves it wasn't a name that Christ gave to them either. I mean, they had their own sort of common names, ones we still use today saints, believers, followers. But Christian or Christ ones, ones who are following Christ, was given by the Antiochians, the folks watching this work go forward here to this group. And I think that that is very interesting, that it was the watching community that saw this group of early disciples and gave them the name Christian, Christ Ones. So it's led me to think and reflect, you know, what did they see? What was it that these people were doing? What was it that they were saying? How were they living that led these folks in Antioch to title them as Christ Ones, as Christians? And I think if we reflect on that and look at what we see in our text, it gives us a great indicator for how we can press into and live into that name as well. How can you and I live into the name Christian in 2019? What does it look like to be rooted in Christ? What is that faithful response to this more than generous and gracious title? Like what does that mean for us? How do we live as image bearers reflecting the image of Christ today? And we'll be honest from the beginning on the front end, we don't do it perfectly. I certainly don't do it perfectly. Sin creeps in, temptation creeps in. I want to identify myself as something other than a Christian. You just ask my wife or those that are around me most of the time, they will say that they see that creeping in because Jesus came, because he brought the good news, because he entered into our world and has reworked the way we identify ourselves, we are Christ ones and we are to live into that. We're to live into that title Christian. That's our primary identity. We find ourselves rooted to that truth and from there our life works itself. We press into that title. And I I think when we look at this text, we see three pretty clear marks. They're there in your bulletin. You've got three marks, characteristics, or traits that we we find. There's the mark of mission, there's the mark of unity, and the mark of industry. Those three marks, I believe, are what the Antiochans saw. Those non-believers, those people in the community that saw these Christians in these three different ways, probably more too, that led them to give them the title Christ Ones or Christian. So what do we have to learn from that? Well, let's go ahead and dive in and look at the first mark, mark of mission. We see this in verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So in those two verses, we see what their mission was. Their focus, their motivation, their purpose was the gospel. It was the preaching and the teaching of Christ Jesus. It was the word that became flesh. That was their primary mission. You know, they were scattered to all these different places. That was the occasion that brought them into these different cities. But their mission was to make the gospel known. In other words, it was to share their faith with the folks of these different cities. To tell them how Christ has reworked their life in such a beautiful and glorious way. To do it where they were worshiping, where they were buying their meats and stuff at the market, where they were working their labors. They were sharing their faith with the folks around them. They were bringing the gospel to these areas. And I think it could be easy to overlook how it would have been Uh, more comfortable probably at times to kind of hide, to go into hiding. When you think about the occasion that brought them there, it was the persecution that arose over Stephen. So they saw what happened with him. They very easily could have said, I don't want any part of that. That's difficult. That doesn't lead to or end in a good place. So why don't I go to this new place and start over? Keep my faith quiet, not talk about this Christ figure who will ruffle feathers but they didn't do that they especially would have known that that was to come we think about John 15 Jesus's own words you know the world hates me it's certainly going to hate you we think about the the almost the norm for Paul's ministry in his missionary journeys There wasn't really too many places that he went where he did not encounter some sort of persecution or struggle. We know that the early church, the church of the apostles, the church of the martyrs, met lots of persecution in its day. But these faithful individuals pressed into that gospel message. They were so transformed by the mission of what the gospel is that it led them to share their faith where they were. And they didn't do that alone. They did that with the work of the Spirit as well. You know, when it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Then when Barnabas comes, he sees that God's grace is abundant in this place. And he's called good because he's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, the Spirit went with them as they were reaching these different people. They were not doing this alone. They remembered the Great Commission, and they were led to press into that, to, to root themselves in their identity as Christ followers, to preach the gospel in Antioch and other places. It was the good news of Christ that was their motivation for sharing their faith. And their motivation was their mission, their purpose. You know, I can think about it in my own life. You know, what is my motivation? What does my mission look like? What's my purpose? And certainly at times, uh, I would probably say not as much as it should be. It, it looks like what those early disciples would have done. But if you were to ask my wife, you know, what does what Addison's life look like when he's not at church on Sunday or other times of the week? She could probably point to a few different Uh, purposes and missions that I may have. And one of my great struggles and temptations in life is material things. You know, I find at times my worth and my value, my purpose, if you will, in what I have and what I can get, whether that's some form of technology, whether that's some form of uh, attire, clothing, shoes, whether it's a, a hobby that I am in. Tend to find my value and my worth there as opposed to the gospel perhaps that resonates with you and you say i can find myself there too you know another area of temptation is in parenting you know and the way that i parent my kids or the way that we may parent our kids is we want them to be perfect to listen to every little thing that i say and obey with a yes sir i wish that was the truth I can find my worth and my value in how my kids act in public or how they respond to the things I ask them to do at home. Or Perhaps it's career or work. You know, I find my value in work. I find my identity in who I am and my calling. And I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to find that value, the way that people see me, the way they perceive me is based on how well and what I do as a job. Or perhaps it's in social justice. Where I stand and and what I am for determines who I am and where my identity is. Instead, I need to be rooted in the gospel. I need to be rooted in Christ. That's where my identity comes from. Because he has changed the game for me. He's given me a new He has called me his child. And of course, that affects the rest of my life. It affects the rest of these things where I am tempted to find my worth and my value. It gives me joy in the things that God has given me, the material possessions, the things I'm allotted to have in this life. I can enjoy them and be a good steward of them as opposed to finding my worth and value in them. The same is true for parenting with my children. I do not have to find my value and my worth in how well they behave, but rather in how well they see King Jesus as their primary source of life. Same with career and social justice. I, I can find my value in Christ and it informs how I go into these two endeavors. My, my big calling, my big C calling as a Christian informs how I do my work, how well I do it. At Same time, it informs how I engage with the injustices of the world. So the gospel speaks into those areas of life, but our identity is not in them. It's in Christ Jesus. I love how one author puts it. She works it this way. Are we engaged in efforts that are relevant to the groans of creation and the cries of the poor? Are we producing disciples whose work is contributing to profound transformations that set people to dancing in the streets? And here's the heart of where that comes from. Have we joined King Jesus on his grand sweeping mission of restoration? In cooperation with him, are we bringing foretastes of justice and shalom, or are we largely engaged in mere charity? See, it's that mission of the gospel, that mission of the good news of Christ that sent those folks in Antioch dancing in the streets. Just love that image and brought the shalom, the peace, to that city. And it was a mark that led them to give them the name Christ Ones. But that's just the first mark. There's a second mark that we see, the mark of unity. We see that in verses 22 and, and 24. We're just following those verses we just read. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We see this is a shared mission. You know, Barnabas wasn't there when the gospel was first first being preached. Barnabas was in Jerusalem. You know, Barnabas wasn't the one who brought the gospel to Antioch. It was already there. He came and recognized the work of those early disciples. I just love this part of the passage. Did you catch the names of those early disciples? They're not there. This is an unnamed bunch of people who found themselves in Antioch. And what did they do? They shared their faith. It didn't take Barnabas to come and say, okay guys, here's what we have to do. We've got to talk about King Jesus. They already knew that and they were already doing it. And Barnabas came and simply acknowledged that. And he comforted them. He brought them exhortation. He brought them uh, resources. He'd been trained to do these things. And he came and he didn't change what they were doing. He didn't add to what they were doing. He didn't come in and say, this is my way. Okay, you guys have been doing a good thing, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently now. This is what Jerusalem wants us to do. They want us to, to share our faith this way, to set up our structures this way. But instead, he came and he came alongside them. He unified himself with what they were doing. See, Satan wants us to do it the other way. He wants us to see the good work that's going on somewhere and say, I have something to contribute. They should listen to what I'm saying. They should do what I think they should do. I know the best way to do this. I know the best way to reach these people. I know the best way to share the gospel. And that is the work of the evil one. He twists the story, tells a half truth but a whole lie that we know best. Barnabas doesn't fall for it. He's encouraged by the work. He's not territorial. He's excited about the labor and the laborers and what they were doing. And eventually we see that he goes and gets Saul. Another humble act on his part. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So again, there's this humility that is attached to the unity of the church barnabas realizes that two are better than one certainly maybe ecclesiastes 4 9 was in his mind two are better than one when one falls the other will be there to bring him up he realizes that maybe saul's gifting is better for this Or maybe it's just better to do this together. Whichever reason it was, we're not given. They came together to do this as one. He certainly could have decided to do it on his own, like we said. But rather, because he was rooted in his identity in Christ, he was led to want to build on what was happening, to share, to be unified in their work. you know, I, in seminary, one of the things that I uh, learned from a, a seminary professor was the idea of having thinking partners, <clears throat> folks that are uh, dead or alive, that we take the thoughts that we have, the ideas we have, and we sort of filter them through these different people. And it's a good practice. Uh, I think it's something that is very helpful. It's been very helpful for me. One of my thinking partners is Francis Schaefer, maybe a name you recognize, maybe not. There's a author, theologian, biblical uh, uh, guy, from long, uh, he's been dead for some, some many years, uh, founder of Libri. I was taking some of these thoughts, this idea, of what we were finding here in Acts, and, and kind of filtering it through Schaefer. I'm like, how would Schaefer think about this text? What would he say? And I think there's a couple of things that he would probably highlight, and, and one of those would be the unity, the community that was brought together. The importance of that is twofold. One, he would say we can bear one another's burdens. There was a sermon series we had done uh, recently on 2 Corinthians, the God of all comfort, the idea in there that we can come together and bear one one another's burdens. So being together as a community helps us to encourage like Barnabas did, helps us to bring up those that are failing in, in one way or another. You know, Schaefer was very good at this. He would respond to every letter that was written to him. It didn't matter the occasion. It didn't matter what the letter was or how long it would take him to respond. He would pin back a letter to every single person. He really valued that community. It's the idea of what Labrie was, the bringing together of people uh, to press into the Lord. And the other area that I think he would highlight would be the idea of our unity as Christians is what he would call the final apologetic. And he would point to a couple different passages for this, but one that's very prominent would be John 13, uh, verses 33 through 35. He would look there, and he would call this the final apologetic. And here's what it says. It says, little children, in a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And here is the final apologetic in Schaefer's words. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's that love, the unity of the the Christian church together that people in our community will see and they will say that is different and that is attractive. So we live in a world that wants us to think individually and wants us to think about our lives separate from the whole, but Christ is calling us to something different. He's calling us to think about our life as a whole as a community, in unity for the gospel, and it's in that that these early disciples were living into that, pressing into it, and those Antiochans saw that, and that was a mark that led them to say, these are Christ ones. These people follow Christ, The last mark that we see, so we see the mark of mission in the gospel, mark of unity, and the last mark is the mark of industry, which is kind of a, maybe a funny word to use. might not have thought that. It didn't mean sort of manufacturing and, and goods and services, uh, but rather in the informal sense of the word. I meant an activity or domain in which a great deal of time is exerted, time and effort. And I think... We can say that that is certainly true of those early disciples in this moment. At the very end of our passage, you know, Barnabas has gone and gotten Saul and brought Saul back. Certainly it takes some time and dedication and effort. And then they got there and of verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians And they spent a year solidifying their faith and building up the church, putting some structure and order to it, perhaps. But you could probably feel the great temptation of the time would be to keep going, to go to the next place and share the gospel, to move on. Okay, there are people here doing a good work. Let's go somewhere else. Just keep going and going and going. But rather, these two men and these disciples slowed down took a breath and they pressed in to where they were at. You can imagine what went on in the year that they were there. They probably were harnessing some of what Jeremiah points to in the exiles, living in the community, being in the marketplace, taking up residence, befriending the folks that are there. And they really pressed into this place you know we live in a time where it's just a breakneck pace we talked about that in our adult institute class on technology how technology is just changing and it's making us react so fast social media is a primary contributor to some of this but just the way the world moves now is so fast and it wants us to keep up but i think there's some wisdom in slowing down Pressing in, being faithful to a place and a people for a given amount of time, if we think about even Jesus' ministry when he started his public ministry, it went on for three years. We think about who jesus is he He is the Son of God he is God incarnate, in man he could have, if he wanted, to do his mission in an instant. He didn't need three years to do what he did. You certainly don't need to limit God in that way. But yeah, he did. He took time. He walked with people. He dined with sinners. He took lots of time to pray, to get away and, and ask God, For guidance in his mission, to pray for the places that he was entering into. He took time to disciple people, to walk with them, to challenge them, to teach them, to exhort them. He took time to go to Jerusalem. There is an industry, if you will. In this work, and we see that in Christ, it was marked by his industry in the gospel. And I think that mark, plus the first two, is what led those Antiochans to see these disciples and say, they look a lot like that guy Christ. Maybe there's something to what they're saying. And that certainly is the invitation for you and me, for those that would already identify themselves as Christians. You know, our invitation is to press into that. You know, do we find our primary identity as Christ ones? Are our lives marked in the same or similar ways as these early disciples? And there's a freedom in the gospel And that we don't have to try to actively live into these things. Our lives do not have to be about mission, to be about unifying things, or about our efforts and time in a certain place. Rather, if our lives are centered on the gospel, on King Jesus, these things will come with it. We're called to rest in Christ. great Isaiah 30 15 passage your salvation is found in returning in rest in the Lord for those of us that for those of you that are not identifying as a Christian I mean that's the invitation as well that there's great rest from the way of the world in Christ and there's great purpose in the gospel and if that's you this morning, I'd love to have a conversation about that. I would love to, to help you see the richness of the gospel and ask you if you see that here or in your life. Do you see these marks around? And like we said at the beginning and throughout, our, our lives are maimed with sin and temptation. So we know that we will not do this perfectly, but Christ has. Christ has, and so we are called to press into him. So yeah, there's a lot in a name. There's a lot that comes with that name Christian. But at the center of it is Christ. And in that lies a truth that surpasses all understanding, that our good and bad deeds, our bright moments, our failures, covered, they're washed, as white as snow, and we can press into the Lord. So may that be our great desire of 2019, to press into the gospel, into Christ, to reflect on the name Christian, and to know what it means. Let's pray. Father, this morning, We realize the error of our ways. We see that we don't always live into that that beautiful title, Christ Ones. It's a, a glorious name that you have ordained for us to have. We just ask for forgiveness, as you have uh, wonderfully stated you would give, and you give us that forgiveness in Christ. So we ask as we press into our lives, as we look at the minutia of day-to-day things, the the, the, the big picture of, of how we are on mission with King Jesus, that you're there with us, walking hand in hand. What a beautiful truth for us. May we press into that, not only today and this week, but forevermore. Forgive us for the times we don't. We praise your name for your glory. In the beautiful name of Christ we pray. Amen.